This podcast is brought to you by Toasted Marshmallow Adventures Studio. Contact them at gettoasted at toastedmarshmallowadventures.com for all of your podcast production needs. Good morning and welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with Amy and Mo. Well, good morning. Welcome to our show. Not everyone gets a trophy with hashtag Princess Amy and Mo. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I have the pleasure today um, to talk more. Uh, not talk, but in kind of interview uh, our like my co-host. She could say I'm her co-host. Yeah, wait uh, a second. You're but, my co-host. And it works <laughs> vice versa. Um, but I think I think it's a great opportunity for us to talk more about who Amy is. I don't really talk about myself because I'm a therapist. I'm very good at that. And I love talking about myself. So <laughs> yes. So hello, welcome to our show. It's yes, Amy. Yes. It's the so, Amy show. <laughs> so so before you tune us out, um, you know, we're gonna uh talk more about the bigger the best, the bigger the transformation. Um, how sometimes uh, at times we 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 appear that we have it all together on the outside, um, but we're broken. And uh, as a trauma therapist, I have been able to uh, talk to Amy throughout hours behind the desk and get to know more about her story. So today we're I'm gonna actually gonna be interviewing uh, Amy who has been a nurse um, for how long? Well, let's see. I think we're going on about 14 years. Wow. That's like half of my life. But it's good. <laughs> Thanks, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> Way to put our ages into perspective. You know, you it, know, I'm already nervous enough coming here to share my story with you. And now you're throwing in some age numbers on my Yeah. And, and, you know, today we actually, Amy is sitting across from me. Normally she sits next to me. So she is sitting in the, in the hot seat. Um, and I'm so excited to, to introduce Amy and, 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 you know, the rawness that comes with it. Um, you know, there's stories that Amy has told me about her history that I'm like, wow, very shocking. And I think it's time for, for us to disclose a little bit about who we are and, and, and why we're doing what we are. So Amy, you know, I'll leave it up to you to come on, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Tell me. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's definitely different sitting on the other side here. Um, like having like this, like eye contact. Yeah. This is like a level of intimacy that sometimes I'm really uncomfortable with. And I don't know if any of our listeners, um, feel the same way, but. Because like, we do this to, to people who we interview, we literally just stare at them in the eyes. Yeah. And I've been told before, like you're really intimidating and you make people uncomfortable. I'm like, I'm not trying to be intimidating. I'm, I'm studying. Yeah. I, I'm literally like trying to see beyond we're being what present. the words are. Yeah. We're, we're, we're living in the present right now. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, so a couple years when we met. I think it's probably been closer to three and a half, maybe four actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just kind of a little bit of background as to how this all this this whole podcast came to fruition is we did meet at the facility that we worked at and there was a lot of like energy that we were exchanging with how we would do our work but then also like interpersonally like how you facilitated me in my growth and i i thought that this would be a great match for us to put out this energy that we had this good like vibe i guess yeah to out to the community and try to try to reach out to people that were in the community that were suffering because like we're going to yeah. talk about my story is I come from a, a a place where I thought I'd never end up um, where I was like suffering and I felt like my whole world was falling apart and um, it led me to what I do today and it's it's a huge passion of mine and in nursing school 14 years ago, <laughs> actually longer than that because nursing school took me quite a bit. Um, uh, kind of lost my train of thought, but 14 years ago, I did do um, a rotation in a mental health um, outpatient services. And actually I did, did um, some, a rotation like in a, a, a jail. And I was like, Oh God, this is not for me. This is not for me. This is dangerous. This is scary. This is, it, if, it just doesn't if, seem if, like there's no end. Like this doesn't seem like nursing to me. 
And today I have a totally different perspective, but it's based on like my whole entire journey, my life experiences, me listening to life and um, a lot of my spirituality with my my faith in God. It's stronger than it ever has been. I think um, that's led me to mental health. Yeah. So yeah, let me let me kind of share a little bit about the last five five years of my life because um, it's really been um, what has driven my passion to um, getting into mental health. So um, let's see. I, about 2016, um, I was a go-getter. I kind of still feel like I am. Um, I was motivated to do huge things. I'm super dramatic. I've got big hair. I got a, I got big everything. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you ever get the chance to meet Amy, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to take on initially, <laughs> and then your eyes will start, you know, adjusting to to see that the unique person that she is. Um, that it's not just looks. It's it's more to it. But initially, you're like, oh my I gosh. I appreciate that, Mo. Yeah, because I you, really do. You got the bump it. You know, you got <laughs> I the don't wear a bump it. You got the eyelashes. Yeah. You know, and you got the energy. Yes. So initially, I think people are taken like by surprise, is because it's a lot initially. But once 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 it settles, you understand that uh, this is why we work because we're a lot alike. We just go in there and we try to do the best that we can. And I want to be loud. I want to be super dramatic. Yes. Um, but I'm it all gonna, starts with something ugly. Yes. It, um, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Um, I, I honestly thought I would work in the ER and then labor and delivery just seemed to where I kind of fit in the best. I loved it. So that's why you have six kids or ha- why around. Well, I had kids. eight children actually. Mom. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I was a surrogate mom for two sweet little girls that live in Utah and I have six kids of my own. Wow. So, okay. So this is kind of where it all started. I was a, a mother, single mother of far, four. Um, and I got myself through, um, nursing school, which was really hard. And people would tell me, I don't know how you do that. I'm like, I don't know. I just keep doing stuff. It didn't seem like that big of a deal to me. Um, but I made it look really good. And, um, because I was so busy trying to make everything look so good on the surface, I don't think I really understood what it was taking for me to get there, but it was exhausting me. So, um, I remarried and I had another baby, but she's my tubal reversal baby. So I try to feel like, I feel like I'm a really giving person and, um, my husband really wanted a baby and I couldn't give him that. And so I didn't feel like I was going to be a good enough wife. But because I'm super dramatic and loud and I, I don't take no for an answer, I found a specialist in Florida and he untied my tubes. Four months after I untied my tubes, I was pregnant and then I had a miscarriage about 11 weeks later. Um, that was devastating um, and I felt powerless. And the only thing I wanted to do was have a baby. So I was like hyper-focused on it. And I ended up getting pregnant again. Um, and then I do have my wonderful little um, baby that's nine years old now. So everything worked out like it like it should. And like it always does, right? I mean, like it always does. I, I always say you have to look back to be able to connect the dots. Yeah, but, but you- I I can tell you, like I thought that my path was really gonna uh, lead me down women's health um, midwifery. I thought that that for sure is where I was gonna make it. Because I had so many experiences. I actually was um, a terrible teen. I got pregnant when I was 15 years old and gave birth to a stillborn at the age of 15. And after that, I didn't receive any mental health services. I literally remember sitting in a dark room and the doctor sitting across from me the night after I delivered the baby myself because I didn't call the nurse to tell her what's happening. I had no idea what was happening. I was doped on, on Demerol. And he was writing him a pres- writing me a prescription for for birth control. Wow. Yeah. So, so I was like, "How awful is that? Like, what just happened? I never held my son. Um, no one held my son. No one encouraged me to hold my son. Um, and I'm not really sure what happened to him. So." That was pretty painful, and it didn't really affect me until later on in my life. However, my second miscarriage where I had to have a DNC wrecked me more, and I think it was because I just had that um, 
more adult, like critical thinking or like my, my process of thinking things through was a little bit deeper. And I just, that, that core belief of not feeling good enough was, um, more present. And I thought about it more because at 15, I'm like, I don't know, we'll just, I guess we'll just do what we're told because that's what you do. You do what you're told. So anyhow, um, with all those things that were happening, I thought I would be a labor and delivery nurse and I would never let that happen to someone. I would never let someone deliver a baby, a stillborn baby and not take a picture or make a hand of a mold or encourage them to, um, like process that and do that right then because that, that baby's not going to go home with you. Um, I've delivered my own, you know, moving forward, delivering five babies in different ways and different things happening. Every unique, every experience is unique. And I really wanted that for a mom, but, um, fast forward, um, after I had my little tubal reversal baby, baby, I thought, oh my gosh, what could I do? Um, let me, I started bucket listing. I'm like, what's the biggest thing I could give do on a bucket list? I could give the gift of life. So I jumped into surrogacy and I delivered my first surrogate baby on December 3rd, 2015, no, 16. Oh gosh, I can't remember. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) However. Grandma brain. So, um, this is kind of like the, the beginning of the end. I had delivered my own children and I, I don't remember having any sort of postpartum depression. Um, with this baby was quite different. Um, I had a traumatic delivery, which, um, having a traumatic delivery can increase a woman to have postpartum depression by 25%. I don't, I didn't know this at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a partial abruption and I remember on the on the way to the hospital when the emergency vehicle took me there. I had a lot of bleeding and I couldn't feel the baby moving. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I lose this baby, I'm, this is going to really devastate me and another family. Oh my gosh. Um, um, and then I didn't really think about myself that, well, you could like hemorrhage and you could bleed to death, but I was like, I'm not important. And so a lot of my life I was, I was constantly like taking on all kinds of other people's inventory, I guess is what you could call it and trying to make everybody okay, um, super codependent. And I was trying to do it all and make it all look good. And I think for the most part, I was pretty good at it (laughs) until I wasn't. Yeah. So, um, I did, um, I did of course challenge the, the labor part and I didn't want to have a C-section and the baby was fine. She was tolerating this partial abruption very well. So I tried, you know, I delivered her naturally. Um, but it was very traumatic. And then the baby gets taken from you. Which is even tra- more traumatic. And you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. This isn't your baby. She's not biologically a part of me, but I grew her mm-hmm. and I took care of her. And when I took care of her, it still wasn't good enough because I ended up having to be hospitalized. I had a partial abruption and I felt like she deserved a better spot. You know, like I, I think that she delivered, she should have had a better delivery. And these are just my own thing. At these the are time, the only things I right? was thinking. So when I went home, I I didn't really notice the, these big things that were happening. They were just small things, but they were, you know, they're really actually big things. And I would consider them big things to other women that have had that have postpartum issues. So I do remember that I'm I kind of have a, I'm not OCD, but I have OCD habits or traits where I have to fold my towels a certain way, and I'm the only one allowed to uh, fold towels to this day. Um, because I've had to get over this issue. Um, I don't fold my towels anymore. I just roll them. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, because they're just fucking towels. Okay. They're just wow. Towels. Yeah. She, she just said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so if, if, if you get anything out of this podcast is Amy got through all her trauma because she folded her own towels a certain way. Hold on. That's not, that's not what I was saying. I'm just saying that like I've desensitized my OCD habits. Okay. So, uh, so before we go, talk to me about how how are you coping with everything, right? We all have that unhealthy behavior that we I'm go to. I'm folding towels, Mo. Didn't the, you the- hear me? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know these things are happening to me. I'm so unaware of my own mental health because I'm so focused on making sure that everybody else is okay. And I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I was raised that way. You take care of others. I come from a Hispanic culture. 
Um, you're always being the caretaker, feed them, clothe them, bathe them, like all the, like you're just a caretaker. And I actually felt fulfilled that way. I felt really good. I felt purposeful. And if I did more, I felt more purposeful. Oh my gosh. When I'd go to work, I was like numero uno, Mm -hmm. like Amy knows everything. And I liked it that way. I kind of still do. You kind of still do it in a different way, but it's, it's a control issue. Um, and I'm not really a good like teacher. I'm just a good doer. So if you can like mimic what I do, you're going to be phenomenal. I guarantee you people will love your work ethic. And so like when I go to work and I, I, I do things like I get things done. I'm very good at time management, stuff like that. I know I'm a boss. I'm a boss lady. Yeah. Until yes. you met me and then it was like, oh my no, gosh, who, who is this guy? <laughs> he, he's not a nurse. He's not. A, what? You're bossy. I'm bossy. You're bossy. I'm a boss lady. Oh, all right. I get stuff done. I'm efficient. I have all the answers. I know the ins and outs. I because I have to know. This is part of my OCD habits too. Is like I don't know because I really want to know everything. I it's because I need to know. I I cannot not know and then something fall apart and I don't know how to like fix it or if it falls apart like that's that that's not gonna happen. So those are things that I've worked on. Going back, um, so yes, I followed these towels, right? And I'm walking through my uh, home, which is the most beautiful home I've ever bought in my entire life. Six bedrooms, custom built, granite, everything, perfect neighborhood. Like I live on the Real Housewives of Daisy Street. Like everyone's getting smart lipo and they're having day drinking at noon and no, none of the wives work and they have people that mow their lawn. Like I think I was the only person that worked in that neighborhood. Wow. But I also own the biggest house. That's. I, um, I was walking through the living room and this is one of the significant moments that I remember. I dropped the towels because I like all of a sudden felt like I was going to cry and I didn't want anyone to see me. And I had probably been thinking about my little surrogate baby and, and probably a few other things. So I dropped the towels and I ran to my room and I hid in my walk-in closet for a couple hours. I locked myself in there and I just cried. And I don't really remember why I was crying. I just couldn't stop crying and I couldn't stop crying. And those are one of the symptoms of postpartum depression is that you just cry and you don't know why you're really crying, but you like are literally paralyzed. You cannot do anything else. So, um, for me, it's okay because I don't have a little baby to take care of. Right. Mm -hmm. But think about a mom that is literally in tears, paralyzed by fear. She cannot pick up her child and take care of her. And the baby is where? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these are really big things. To me, it didn't seem big, but to other moms, this is a big deal. Okay, so that's where I think the beginning of the end started. I was working. I went back to work as soon as I possibly could just to distract myself because I'm really good at that. I'm really bad at that. Good at that. <laughs> and I worked at two hospitals. I worked full-time for one hospital, part-time for another, but I turned into full-time hours anyway. And then I also kept one night, I was a bartender for 13 years and I kept one night at the bar for like me time yeah. and I didn't feel bad about it because I was making money at the same time that I could hang out and have a few drinks. So like there's seven days in the week, right? Um, I, I think I fed eight days worth of work into seven days. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So that's what I did. And how long did you do that for? Maybe two and a half years. Wow. Um, and then my husband at home was really tired of me working all the time because he never saw me. So I um, decided, or he decided, we decided that I would quit one of my jobs. And the one he wanted me to quit was um, the bar because I had a career now. And so I never really drank at home. And after I quit the bar, um, I decided how much I didn't like hanging out with my husband and how much I did like to drink or, you know, just relax. So I started drinking at home. My husband didn't like that. Um, he's not a big drinker. And I never really was either. I mean, I mean, I partied, you know, when I was young and you're, what you're supposed to do, I guess, when you're in 20s and sometimes, you know. Um, but now um, I brought it home. And I would fight with my husband. 
until the fighting got so bad that he literally walked out on me. That's never happened to me before. And it was the best thing he could do for both of us, but I didn't see it like that in the moment. And I was really, um, I was very torn apart by that. I really didn't know what. Because you didn't expect it, right? I didn't think he'd leave. No. And I would tell him to go. I would tell him like how awful he was and how much I didn't want him. But I didn't think he'd actually leave. And then he left. And I do remember like telling him before he left that I was starting to drink a lot and I probably should stop and I really needed some help with that. But I didn't feel like I got a lot of support. But um, in hindsight, like I take accountability for my own actions. Like I, I identified the problem. I shouldn't count on somebody else for support, but that's also. But you don't know what you don't know, right? I, I mean, I, it sounds like at that yeah. time of your life, things were mound to to crash, to to fall apart. Um, yeah, but I, you don't see it when you're in it. Oh, absolutely no. So my husband walked out on me. It was wild the night I remember he walked out it was wild the next day I was just like well there's no accountability anymore so bring on the cocktails right no one's doing no one's yeah, looking no one's at gonna, you no one's yeah. gonna tell me no no one's gonna give me shit like I I'm just here for the party yeah so I started drinking more and uh, my family started like seeing that I was um kind of um separating myself from them and I think they saw that something was wrong and they tried to have an intervention. And actually the, my husband that left me also had an intervention and, and they tried to help me out, but I wasn't ready. I was pissed off. I was so lost. I was heartbroken still. And I thought me being a mess, like me needing the help now, instead of me helping everybody that he would come home and take care of me. And he never showed up. Um, and that was really tough. So, um, my parents did try to help me out and I wasn't, I wasn't ready. So I tried for them though. Like I, I like, I stopped drinking for a little bit. Um, people started noticing at work that I was struggling and I do remember my very lovely coworkers telling me that I should probably take some time off. And I was like, no, I got to hold on to my job because this is all I have left. This is, this is like who I am. Like I'm a worker, you know, don't let, don't, don't make me leave. I ended up taking like some FMLA from work and I took about a week off and I was supposed to just kind of like reset, get it together. But I think I spent the entire week getting fucked up. Yeah. I, I was really in a bad spot. Um, but, you know, like I really did try. I really tried for everybody, but I didn't really try for myself. And I think that's the difference uh, as where I'm, at, where I'm at today. But what happened was um, all these like series of unfortunate event- events start, you know, were happening. Postpartum baby, my husband left me. My parents um, saw how weak I was and tried to help me and I wasn't ready. And then whatever, like what happened, the last thing that like was the straw that broke the camel's back as my daughter was sexually assaulted in this uh, a month and a half later after I had um had my husband leave and I remember by the time that I, we notified the police and we were at home um I was already um probably like a half bottle of gentleman jack in so I was pretty toasted that's all I needed I needed an opportunity to go right back to doing what I was already set set to do like my mind was already made up so I pretty much lost it then um I started drinking day and night um I couldn't sleep anymore and so um my friend you know the the desperate housewives of Daisy County mm-hmm. oh they're so awesome <laughs> <laughs> um so there was just a lot of different things where like how how we like would get together and drink and things that they would ma- manipulate with sleep and stuff and so I opened up my my medicine cabinet and I had all kinds of stuff to help sleep and so I would drink and I took old prescription pills um 
Yeah. So it was really messy, but I was like, well, I got to figure out how I can work and drink and, you know, like <laughs> how to medically function. Well, yeah. So how to just keep this like shit show going. Right. Yeah. I got to I got to, I got to manipulate all these little areas. Oh, hold on back up. So when my parents like helped me, um, get help, I did see a nurse practitioner. They prescribed me Zoloft and Ativan. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I don't really like pills all that much. And today I don't like, I, I know how to, I know how to manipulate, um, alcohol and how it metabolizes through your body. So like, I'm, I'm good with that. Like I'm a professional drinker or I'm sorry, I was a professional drinker. So I knew who that, how that would affect me. But once you put a pill in your mouth, you don't know what's going to happen. And that terrifies me. So I have like medication anxiety, but I was like, at this point, I don't give a, yeah. I don't care. So, um, I did one time, like have some alcohol and then I used an Ativan to sleep and then I had a hard time waking up. I ended up having to call in sick to work and it did kind of scare me. So I was like, well, out with the pills. Let's keep that. Let's keep that vodka rolling in. So, um, <laughs> that didn't end up working out well for me. I ended up, um, compromising safety at my job. It affected me at, at work. So that's all I had left, right? was work work was ever so kind. They gave me mercy and they asked me to comply with a program that was going to help me get sober and get my life back together. But I wasn't ready. So that didn't last very long. So on April 25th, 2017, I lost my job. So now I have nothing, everything that I worked for my entire life, this big, beautiful home, passports to out of the country, the like the cars, the the clothes, the trips, like I had it all and now I had nothing. And um I didn't care anymore. Um there's something very interesting about not being suicidal because I don't think that I ever wished that I never had any sort of like plan to be like I need to end my life this is you know it's over. Um but I do remember like waking up in the morning and I would talk to God. Um, yeah, I have a huge faith in Jesus Christ. I always have, I've just kind of been like, you know, in and out. I've had like a pocket God. I've had a present God, uh, you know, stuff on my terms, whatever works for Amy. Yeah. When when I get in trouble, God, if you could just come through. Yeah. If, if you could just like get him out of that back pocket. It's like the bargaining stage of grieving laws. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would have this conversation with God every morning. Like I just look up in, at the ceiling and say, oh, are we doing this again today? You know, we all know how this day ends. And so and he's all there probably saying, yep, that's, that's yeah. what you're about so, to do. So it's a thing now, you know, I'm like, okay, all right. Like I've heard the story about refiner's fire before, you know, how. Have you heard the story about Refiner's Fire? No, no, no. Okay, so Refiner's Fire is like there's this blacksmith and he he wants to create the perfect sword, um, and the sharpest tool, and it have to be perfect. And so he puts it in the fire and he takes it out and he hammers on it and he looks at it, not good enough, and he'll put it back in the fire and he hammers it up and it gets really hot and he molds it and until he brings it out and he can he sees that he's made the perfect sword and that's kind of how Refiner's Fire works with God is that God will, because of free will, he will allow us to go back into the fire per se, and he will work on us and we will torture ourselves and we will, and we will do all these things and he will mold us and he will take us out when we are willing to come back out and, and let him do what he's always wanted to do for us. But we are not, um, considered like we're not really perfect, but like in his image, right? So it's not until we come out of the fire that he sees um, we see that um, our image in in this fine metal that we see this image of God, like we are one of another. That okay, you've done it, you've made it. Like this is what we, you know, this is what you were always designed to do. So it's about us, like having that free will of choosing the right. Like we don't have to go into suffering. We but when we take everything back from Him, when we do everything we want to do we end up in like chaos and dysfunction. And he's like, but the thing is, the cool thing is, is that God never takes his hand off you. Just like the blacksmith will never take his hand off the sword. He will work on it until he pulls it out. But his hand is always held onto the sword. So God's never going to let go of you. That That's never his plan. He's never going to let go of you. Well, your per- your sword probably was very, very perfect. Because you went <laughs> to that fire. Like you cooked that thing extra. 
and you hammer that thing extra. Um, but it, but it sounds like through throughout this this journey as as you're walking through, I mean, even even then when you wake up and you say, "Hey God, are we gonna keep doing this?" You keep doing it. Like, at what point do you look at that sword and and say, "Like, okay." So I love fire. Yeah. I'm choosing it. I'm I'm like taking my own will. I want everything on Amy's terms. I want Amy's plan. I want it to work. And he's like, okay, try that. Right. Which is what and makes it's us- not punishment. It's not about punishment. It's about you. It, it's about you going in and and trying to f- like navigate yourself out of that. When God God already has the plan for you. Mm-hmm. It's up to you to to pit, to really believe that God is who He is, and He says He's going to do. So it's your faith. And you have to stop being afraid of that. So, you know, that's one thing that I've learned as well. Like in my years of my of my journey with God is like, I remember a pastor saying one day, he's like, well, there's a difference between believing God, believing in God and then believing God. So do you believe, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Me? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But do you believe God? Do you believe God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he's going to do? Do you believe that? Yeah. I feel like you're preaching to me. Well, preaching okay, to sorry, me. I'm, not, I'm not trying to go off on like a preaching <laughs> yeah. tangent, but this is like how desperate I am because I'm like, I have this like fear. I have more fear than I do have faith at this point. When today I live my life where I'm like, I have more faith over fear. I'm not really afraid of things happening anymore. Because my my faith is is that um, I put all I'll I'll get there. So I put all this faith in God that He already has the plan. I just have to keep doing what He wants me to do, and staying staying aware of that is the is the work. So so let me get there. So okay. So I've really like messed up this whole uh, this whole life that I I planned for myself. And, um, there's so many things that have happened. I'm overwhelmed. Um, my kids don't want to hang out with me anymore. Actually, they move out of my house. I'm like living in this, um, 3,500 square foot house with six bedrooms, pretty much alone. It sucks being like being, um, lonely is one of the worst feelings in the world. And I think a lot of people get to loneliness and they feel empty and then they're, they want to out. And it's either like, it's, that's where people get depressed and suicidal. So there's a difference between lonely and being alone and being okay. So like now I'm like alone and I actually sometimes prefer it. <laughs> 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 um, but I'm never lonely anymore. But okay. So April 25th, I lost my job. I wasn't done yet. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like we're going to be Bonnie. Like I'm going to find somebody. We're going to be partners. We're going to be Bonnie and Clyde. We're going to ride off this cliff. So I tried, I started treating, um, liquor stores like Costco because I didn't want anyone to know that I drank a fifth of vodka on a daily basis. They're not stupid. And then give it to Amy, it's like five feet tall. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. So I'm like, at this point I'm like five, three, almost five, four. Um, I weigh 106 pounds. I don't eat. I drink like, also I do is drink all day and smoke cigarettes. Um, so, so that went on for a couple more months. It was, it was torture. Um, I didn't, I was lost. I was so broken. I was suffering and I was just trying to get through the day each day. I'm like, can, can something, you know, like I was just like half willingly praying for change and half willing praying. It was just over. And oh my gosh, like the battle in your mind that you go through every day as, as you're like your mind altering substances kick in. Like it, it's like so many, you know, people are like I drink, to, I drink to, I drink the pain away. I drink not to fill. I'm like, I think I felt more when I was yeah, drinking than I've ever felt in my life. There were so many emotions and it was, it was too much. It was overwhelming. So, but it sounds like you were like fugitive that it's almost waiting, hoping to just get caught. To just, oh, yeah. to, to, to just, you don't care anymore. I give shit. Yeah. Nobody cares. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good worker. That's what I had left. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good sister. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good daughter. None of it. None of it matters. None of it matters. So I don't care. You want to come see you. You want to see this? It's disgusting. But come on over. 
I mean, I, that's not what I really wanted, but I was like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. So, um, it was wild. I, um, and the things that were really ugly, I, I hate to even like talk about because like, it makes me want to crawl out of my skin. Like I, I made compromises with myself that I said I never would. Um, and then I did them. I did them all. Um, it's, it's definitely a different feeling when you don't care about anything. You're willing to like have these like battles with yourself and like give in to that, that like sinful demonic part that I think everybody is capable of having <laughs> or tapping into <laughs> or I tapping would say. into. Yeah. yeah. And so that was me. I was ugly. I was, and literally like physically, I don't think that people would recognize me. I weighed 106 pounds. I would fall asleep. I wouldn't fall asleep. I'd pass out and I would like pass out sitting up. In, in, in to, to our listeners, you know, if, if you were to see Amy now, <laughs> uh, well, she is, uh, I, I keep telling her you need a meal prep for me because <laughs> yes, I, I don't no, have a very I good routine <laughs> and Amy is, it's, it's far from that, um, you know, body, you know, bodybuilder. Which I am. I'm going to be competing in the NPC. Um, actually today, today we decided that I would do wellness because my coach feels that, um, I look more presentable for a wellness. We might try a bikini, but I'll be. Um, competing in the NPC um, in March 19th in Utah. I'm going to crush it this year. I'm going to kill it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but to say that um, you have put your body through, you know, the smoking, the drinking, the, you know, drinking the fifth and, and not sleeping and, and pain pills, um, the trauma that your body has gone through, um, you know, along with giving, you know, birth, very traumatic birth, um, to see Amy today, um, it's, it's quite remarkable, um, because people don't often sit with you and want to hear the, the three hour, the five hour story about who you are as a person. So that's why I thought it was very important for you to, 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 to talk about that. And I love sharing my story. Like, I don't really, I don't, I don't, um, have anything to really hide and I and I feel like people can relate to a lot of different things and I'm I'm really just trying to share my experience so that other people might benefit from it. And you know, like I, I don't know. It's some of it's wild. Some of it's really cool. Like some of the things I did, I did some cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> um but it all it all was really fun until it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. And and one of the things I say to people is um when you learn to love your sadness it's when the transformation happens. And when I tell people, you need to learn your sadness, <laughs> if they're not ready for that, they want to punch me. They want to, yeah, they're they, super they, they get so mad at me because truly deep down, they understand what that means. Yeah. But they're not ready for it. Yeah. And, and I remember my favorite professor, Janelle Stafford, uh, uh, NNU, had that on the board learn to love your sadness. And, it was just something about it that I became angry, so angry, because I did not truly understand what that meant. Listening to your story, man, it's full of sadness. Oh, yeah. I was reckless. I was, I was hopeless, um, broken, brokenhearted, and I'm, I didn't know how to get out of it. So, so talk to me about... <laughs> you want me to tell you about the end? No, the, 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 the turning point. Yeah, because you want that? the the nursing program that uh the last oh, five yes, years yes, you know yes. because obviously to continue to be a nurse you had to go into a program that uh i've known people that are going into the program uh -huh. and five years of being of, under somebody's thumb it's almost like being on probation without being on probation and well, that's exactly what it is and actually the the punishment is um far worse than if I would have got a DUI. Um, so thankfully I didn't get a DUI. However, I did apply for a DUI on the daily. Yeah. Every I, day. Every day I drove in my car and things I never would do. I did them. Um, so I've, I've, yeah, I've made a lot of, um, wrong turns. So Amy is four months away from, from graduating, from graduating the five years that, for a program for recovering nurses. Yeah. So let me tell you how I get into the program because this is a voluntary program. So I don't, I didn't need to be in this program. And, um, 
So I could have, I could have signed a contract with Idaho State Board of Nursing April 26th, right? Cause I'd lost my job April 25th and they report me to the board and I flip them the bird and I'm like, you don't own me. I am who I am. Like I'm, I'm all, I'm all kinds of yeah. angry, sad, mad, uh, confused. 106 pounds. Here you go. What's up? Here I go. Like I'm a tough little chick. Yeah. So I just say, you know, I'm like, I think I'm just going to ride this out to the end. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't really care anymore. So for the next couple of months, I sat um, at home. I wasn't really like the outgoing, like fun, loving party girl. Like when, when you start drinking, like I was drinking, um, you start doing that at home and you're ugly and it's not pretty. And um, you don't really, I didn't really want to be around people. So that's when it got kind of scary. So at first, like, you know, I would drink cause it was like social. And then I drank because it's part of my job. And then I would drink, um, to kind of like distract myself and then you get to be drinking. I mean, this is like an average, right? So like on an average day, I would drink a fifth of vodka. Um, and then, oh yeah, hold on. <laughs> you start buying the cheap vodka because oh, when you're drinking a fifth, like, yeah, you can't, well, yeah. And then you think you drink the vodka because it's like the clear liquid or the clear alcohol that doesn't make you smell funny and stuff. That's total bullshit. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I graduated from, you know, like gentleman Jack and all the fine, like sky vodkas down to like, I don't even remember what I used to drink. It was like six ninety seven a bottle for a fifth. That's, a, that's a, as, as, as vodka, as vodka have, or something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it's called. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, um, when you're drinking that much, so like that at this point I'm drinking just to survive because when you don't drink. This is the scary part about drinking is when you don't drink is when you get sick and, and you can die from alcohol withdrawal, right? So um, I, w- I remember I would literally like get up in the morning and just like take pulls off the bottle or have like four shot glasses lined up and I would watch my eyes go from like red bloodshot red and they would like clear up and be white. I would stop shaking. I could like drive my kid to school. It was stupid. It was so stupid. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was pretty wild. Like I got less sick if I drank more. So I never really got drunk, but so like now I'm drinking as a mode of survival because I'm a nurse and I know what happens if you withdraw from alcohol, really bad things could happen to you. You can die. And now, so um, now there's the justification. Yeah. So people don't, people don't know I'm this sick. Um, they don't know because I'm in my house by myself. I just couldn't do it anymore. My, my, my daughter, like everyone was noticing I wasn't sleeping. My daughter would sleep with me and I was trying not to drink and I was really trying for my kids, but I just didn't. I couldn't do it by myself. So um, it was holiday. Um, We're fast forward to around May, the end of May. I think it's Memorial Day in May. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So I know um, because um, I know how the liquor stores work. Um, I treat them like Costco. I know their schedules. I rotate them um, all over the Treasure Valley. Um, I know that the, the liquor stores are closed on holidays. And so I purposefully did stopped buying, um, alcohol. Now, um, the gas stations are open, right? But like what Monaco's like 9% alcohol. Um, I don't drink anything less than 37% or 80 proof. Oh, okay? dang. Like I'm still that high class. No, it's just because if I didn't drink that like amount of alcohol, that sick. person, I would get sick. So I would have to drink like a dozen Monaco to equal a half a bottle of vodka so that's not going to be enough like and i i really need that relief like i need that relief like right away or i don't feel good so i'm like well this is it this is it i had um like a like a quarter bottle of vodka left and i had a few other beers or i don't know whatever people left at my house and i said well i'm either going to die trying or I don't know. That's the only, that was plan A. I didn't have a backup plan and I was terrified. And so, um, I stayed up all night. I was very sick. I couldn't sleep. And that's the other thing about, um, people that struggle with alcohol is that, um, alcohol replaces the serotonin receptors. So, um, alcohol also metabolizes faster than serotonin. So as the alcohol, um, metabolizes, your body will just wake itself up. So that's how alcoholics work is that they usually drink themselves to sleep um, by drinking massive amounts of alcohol. And they usually wake up early in the morning and they'll drink themselves back to sleep or they'll just get up at four o'clock in the morning and do their day and just be sluggish. 
And then by five o'clock, they get a little bit of a second wind and it's just kind of like a routine. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't sleep because I can't drink enough. I'm trying to ration out the rest of the alcohol. And so I got really scared and, and I wanted to ask for help, but I, my mom already helped me and I had nobody left and I didn't really know what to do. So I woke up, I, I woke up my daughter and she didn't wake up. And so I went back out to the garage and I'm sitting in my garage, right? And I'm smoking cigarettes and I'm pretty shaky. And, um, this is where it kind of gets emotional. Um, I literally prayed to God and I said, if you could show me a different way to live, I would just do that and nothing else. So, and I really meant it this time because I really didn't, I don't know if people like, um, have ever been in a position where like, like it feel death. Like you literally feel like something, something bad's going to happen. And maybe it was a little bit of anxiety, but where you just feel like it's pretty soon that you're going to take your last breath. And that's the best way I can describe it. But I felt like that. And so, um, in that moment, I was like, okay, well, I walked back in the living room and looked at my kids all sleeping in the living room because that's kind of all we, where we slept now because everybody slept with mom. It's like maybe they could almost feel it too. So I went back out to the garage and I lit another cigarette. And by this time, I'm, I'm pretty much out of alcohol. And I started calling my mom and I called her over and over and over. And she finally answered the phone. She gets up early. She has a hard time sleeping all the time. So I'm like, why are you not answering your phone, mom? I know you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she finally answered the phone. And I said, well, I think I'm done. She's, and she knew exactly what I was talking about. And she said, so I thought what she would do is just immediately like hang up on me because you know, she's sick and tired of taking, taking care of her trash daughter. Like, you know, she's, she's done it before, you know, this isn't going to work again. So that's not what she did. What she did was say, um, this is what she said. Are you sure this time? (laughs) And I said, yes, mom, I'm, I'm really sure. And she said, okay, have your bags ready by 11. And I was like, what? She's like, yep, just have your bags ready by 11. Your dad will be picking you up. So that... This is, this is where you end up in Tucson. Yes, the yes. Ir- the okay. irony, because I'm, so I'm from Tucson. Gets, so this is where it gets, like, really awesome, right? So, um, you know, I'm desperate. I'm weak. I'm struggling. I'm literally sitting on the concrete um, of the most beautiful house I've ever bought in my entire life. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. And it all could just go go away. But I'm like, there was just like this overwhelming, like awesome feeling that like I was going to be okay. And I didn't need all this stuff. So um, I ended up saying goodbye to all my kids. They came with me to the airport. Oh, yes, this is what happened. My dad did pick me up at 11. And um, um, I packed a carry-on. And by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I was on my way to Tucson, Arizona, where in the next 48 hours, um, I would down a third bottle of vodka, which tasted um, really awful because it wasn't like the cheap brand that I was used to anymore. <laughs> I was like, but you know, it does the trick. And, and the whole journey there was just a, was just crazy. So yeah, I downed a third bottle of vodka, like literally straight out of the bottle. And I don't know if you know what if you've ever tried to do something like that, but for a normal, normal person, they would gag and puke on it. I was like, yep, lit a cigarette. And I walked into a five day detox and it, and from that day, like from that five day detox is where like my journey began, began with changing, like having the life that I have today. And so on June 5th is when I signed my contract with the um, Idaho State Board of Nursing for a program for recovering nurses. And that was still a voluntary program. And so um, I did sign that. And initially when I signed it is because part of who I thought I was 
was a nurse. Like that's how I identified myself. So what I really needed to do was just get back to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not my mindset this, uh, this time. So at this time, like, I feel like I'm just a really, I'm a really good person. I've been able to uh, like find out, like find love for myself on a level that I've never had before. I, I know I'm kind. I know I'm honest to myself, all these things. And, and now today I'm just a nurse because that's my skill set. <laughs> I love that. I like that. Yeah. I like because I like that. Yeah. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a nurse because that's what my that's what I went to school for. But if I had another job, I would I would flourish. I would be so good at anything that I put my mind to because I'm a good person. I have I have passion. I have drive. I have work ethic, like all these things that I had already, I just wasn't optimizing my potential. Like I couldn't function at a hundred percent in all my areas because I was so busy taking care of everybody else, which I still take care of my children and I do take care of my home and I take care of friends, but I do it to the best of my ability after I take care of myself because you can't pour from an empty cup. And it's really hard to get drips out of, you know, 25%. So I don't know if you've ever like taken a coffee cup or any sort of cup and like you want to drink it, drink it to the last drop, but you can't squeeze out the little last bit. And if that's all you ever have, you're constantly like trying to like squeeze it out. It's a lot easier if you just get a whole new freaking cup, get a whole new cup of coffee, you know, start fresh. So I had to learn that I had to like, feed myself my soul my like all the things i needed to like feel good i needed all that so that i i could like pour out over to like my responsibilities so now like i feel whole i feel good i say this all the time my life is so amazing like you, i'm you so do, good oh my gosh you I'm do say so that good. it could be the worst day how it's are the you worst day. how are you oh no i'm so good i'm happy yeah i'm a happy person <laughs> life still happens to me but um but i just don't have the same outlook anymore i'm like oh no nothing is nothing is worse nothing is nothing is as bad as where i came from it's not and i'll do everything that i possibly can to never end up in that situation and, and I think that's the difference is like committing, committing to that. And so my last five years is there's this huge journey of life happening, me listening. Um, but mostly like my faith in God and being like, what's next and being aware of that. I'm like, what's next? And so every time like I get back on Amy's plan of like that refiner's fire where I'm like, oh no, I got it. Let me do it. Let's like, we're doing it my way. I start to like see that there's a lot of like dysfunction, there's chaos, there's, there's all these like roadblocks. And I'm like trying to like be this bulldozer through them when I'm like, no, I'm like, Jesus, take the freaking wheel. Yeah. This isn't supposed to be happening, but it's that ability to be able to recognize that and be okay with it. Cause before I just wanted to be the bulldozer. I'm like, get out of my way. I'm bigger, stronger, tougher, maybe not faster, but I will be by the end of this. Right. And so, um, yeah. And, um, uh, that's what I, that's what I do. And I've been doing it for the last five years and I've had nothing but like wonderful things happen for me and, and around me. But I think one thing you have to be very conscious about is like when you decide to commit yourself to something different is, um, whatever, whatever those steps are, whatever it is that you have to do, whatever it takes, you have to be okay with. So like some people and some things may have to not exist in your life anymore. And that's a really scary, tough feeling, but you have to accept that that wasn't, that's just not in your, in your journey anymore. And, and, and that was tough too. And I still battle that sometimes where I'm like, Oh, I don't really want to let them go. They're just not good for you. It's not right for you. Not for, not right now. But there's, but, there's seasons of, there's people who are there for a reason and there are people who are there for a season. Yeah. Um, and it's important to understand that, um, that they might just be a season of your life versus a reason that they're th- going to be there. Yeah. But like trying to, trying to juggle all that, which I'm not really good at juggling and trying to be re- like, um, aware of it all is kind of like a, it's kind of like a tough job. Yeah. But when I came back from Tucson, Arizona, I spent. 
uh, 20 weeks in an intense, intensive outpatient program. And that's where I knew that, um, life was going to look a lot different for me. Um, I got hooked up with some really awesome nurses and they, they got me into the mental health field. And, and I only went that way because in, in the, my profession, this was the position of employment that, that had pardon on nurses like me. I didn't foresee myself working there for longer than, um, a couple of years, you know, cause I was like mental health. Ugh. Yeah. And then I got there and it like, I was like, oh my God, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be. And I started like flourishing in that environment, not because I wanted to prove that I could do a good job as an employee. Um, I think it's because I just started having a passion for people that were really struggling. And I'm like, you don't have to live like this. I'm telling you, I am living proof that your life does not have to look like this. And, and, and I think part of the reason, like we started this podcast is like, life doesn't have to look like this for you, but here you are. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you're going to have to do some real work. Like you're going to really have to like put in some work and will willingness or this, you know, like none of this is going to go anywhere. Right. So, so I'm, I think that's why, like, I feel like I'm, um, I'm where I'm at and where we're supposed to be. And like why we have this podcast is because a lot of things that like we're unable to tell people like the, the stuff that people really need to like project them or boost them into like getting to the next level or getting out of the rut they're in. Like this is, this is the avenue that has to be taken because there's so much people that don't want to like hurt people's feelings or tell them the real truth because it might hinder their ability to stay stable in a hospital screw all that what no i'm like no this is the real truth yeah like these are the real issues and you like you're only limiting yourself and i'm only enabling that if i don't give it to you straight so i will support you and i know you can do it because i've done it myself and if i can do it anybody can do it um but yeah like like there has to be this like avenue where people just are like almost challenged and a little pressured to like get it done, put the work in, change your life. And, and people are, they're only limited based on their own personal, uh, ideas. You the know thoughts, what I mean? Like what Steven said, like this, your, your, your best thinking has God, gone yeah. to this point. Yeah. Your best thinking. Yeah. So your best thinking yeah. is crap. Right. Yeah. And in order to, to move forward, you have to remain open to, other things the other people around you who are going to guide you there well and you're you're the, see the thing is is like life really doesn't have any um restrictions we put those on ourselves like the possibilities in this world are actually endless like if you wanted to be a professional bowler all you'd have to do is like uh, sign up for like a bowling class or get on a bowling league and all you'd have to do is practice 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 until you became a really good bowler mm-hmm. and i'm pretty confident that there isn't any hidden talents in a lot of people that bowl or there isn't some like genetic DNA strand that says, oh, insert professional bowler. Right. These are all things that people just wanted and they just did them. Yeah. This isn't baby boss. <laughs> boss baby. <laughs> boss baby. <laughs> so, so we are bound by, by our own mindset that we limit ourselves to, to doing whatever it is that we're doing. So um, if you want to like pull the victim card and say, this is my life because of somebody else. Like I'm only this way because you made it this way. That's all bullshit. Yeah. And like I get that unfortunate things happen to people and I'll, I will be the first one to like raise my hand and say, yeah, things that, ha- things that happened to me when I, when I was a child should have ne- like, I saw things that kids should never see. Um, my kid, my dad growing up, I've told this story before. Um, he was in and out of prison my whole entire life. He actually like skipped jail and ended up at our apartment. We lived in Section 8 housing. Like traumatic things, weird people, drugs, all these things. And, you know, finally my dad um, died when I was 15 years old. It was that that was unfair. And statistically, maybe I should I, I shouldn't be ending up on Section 8, Section 8 housing, uh, food stamps, a couple of kids in a trailer, you know. But I was like... I don't have to have that life, but I wasn't, I never, I never played a victim card. And actually when I did that, when I was an adult, 
it never worked out. Yeah, it never does, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's my turn. Poor me. Like, take care of me. Nobody takes care of me. I take care of everybody. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing happened. Like all I did was sit around and wallow in my pity, and nothing was getting done. I just it was like a it was like talking in a circle, no solution. So yeah, this whole entire um, experience was like the it was like the best worst thing that ever happened to me. It's like a blessing in disguise. I've been able to um, increase my faith in 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 God. Like he he is who he says he is. And in the Bible, the and I might sound like I'm preaching again, but preach it, preach it. <laughs> in the Bible, it does say that God tells us test everything. Yeah, test everything. Try it out. Give it a 30 day trial. It's free. It's free, guys. This this is the free trial you get. Like test test God that He will do what He says He's gonna do. And and maybe you don't know what that is. Yeah. But you're about to find out. <laughs> like if any I mean, if you have nothing left, if you have nothing to lose, and I meet a lot of people in the place that I work, you know, I tell them all the time, I'm like, What well, I mean, you came here because you were suicidal. You were depressed, hopeless. Like there was there was nothing left on this world that there was worth living for. Right? You know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I mean, that's right. I'm like, so why wouldn't you try something different and maybe try it for 30 days and see how you feel? Because I mean, what's the alternative? You could just kill yourself. Which is sad. Well, uh, yeah, no, it's terrible. It's terrifying. It's, 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 it's very, very sad. Um, But that's what you wanted in the first place, right? And then they start looking at you. And then they start getting a little defensive. I'm like, they get angry. Why are you getting mad at me? That's what you wanted. Isn't it what you wanted? Are you not being honest about what you want? So that's the kind of like, like that, you know, that weird like stare. Yeah. That uncomfortableness I get with people. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, we're about to get real. Yeah. We're going to make it so real because I take suicide, um, um, suicide gestures or suicide attempts very seriously. Like I, you know, my daughter after her sexual assault, she was um, very suicidal. She attempted a suicide and I, I it really rocked my world. And I knew how that felt as a mom and as a provider. And I was like, no, this is serious business. It has to be serious. So now when I practice or when I'm sitting down with um, adolescents, which I normally sit a lot with, I don't want to come across as being mean. I want to come across as being very thoughtful and very serious about how invested I am in their well-being. So I will tell them the absolute, like, down to the truth, truth. You want to be dead, right? Well, I don't know. Okay, good. I'm glad that you don't know. Because when your fear overcomes, when, the, when there's no fear and your desire to want to be dead is stronger than your fear, we're in trouble. So I need to figure out how how to intervene and and i only get an opportunity when they're at the place that i work at yeah and here and here and here so amy i'm going to ask you the question that you ask every person that we interview amy is there anything else that you want to tell um our audience that uh you didn't get a chance to Mm. let's see gosh i want to tell everybody everything um um i want everyone to know that they are loved they are so wanted and there are people out in the world that will help people that are struggling and i want to tell people to never give up on themselves never give up on yourself like i i think i have this thing that i've said a couple times before you know like we have a better chance of saving the whales than we do the world. <laughs> but it's still our responsibility to reach yeah. out to people that are suffering. No one should suffer in this world. It's not, that's not your plan. That's not, that's not what God wanted for me. And it's not what he wants for you. And if you need to like get out your pocket, God, do that and hold on to anything that you, that you can to get through um, the day and reach out and ask for help even when you feel like you don't deserve it because you do peace
people matter in this world. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Amy, for being vulnerable to tell your story. Um, as we wrap up here, I just want to um, tell you guys to spend time with those who you love. Spend the time that it takes to know people. Don't just ask for the 30-minute story. Ask for the, the real story, the five-hour, the 10-hour and yes, this podcast might have been a little bit longer, but if you got to this end, man, thank you so much for, for doing that for us because it takes more than just an hour and a half to actually get to know somebody and, and, and where they come from and the transformation. Um, but if you do sit with those people and spend the time, you will see how much it pays off in your life and in their lives. Um, so thank you, Amy, for being here today. Yes, <laughs> it was it was a great hour and a half spent. Yeah, I just I just want to like reflect one more time on like this whole like connecting thing, because sometimes somebody's story will just kind of like that fire in yourself to reach out to somebody that you might know or even yourself to kind of improve yeah. your life. And that's what it's all about, Mo. Yes, it's why we're here. That's why we're here. <laughs> Learn to love your sadness. Um, thank you so much. And uh, anything else, Amy, I'm missing? No, that's it. We'll see you next week. All right. We can't wait to share again. Adios.